Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Life is made up of many gorgeous moments. Cherish them all, big and small, with Blue Nile. Whether it's for yourself or a loved one, Blue Nile's unrivaled selection of expertly crafted fine jewelry and statement pieces help make all your moments sparkle. Blue Nile's experts are on hand to guide you, and their diamond guarantee ensures you get the highest quality at the best price. Celebrate a life well-lived in the most radiant way and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hello and welcome to episode 21 of the Thistle Rugby Podcast, the only rugby podcast that cares about Scottish rugby. How are you guys doing? Um, I am joined here, as always, by uh, Matt. Hi guys, how are you doing? What a day to be talking about Scottish rugby. And as always, our lovable grouch, Alan. It's not that good a day to be talking about (laughs) Scottish rugby. (laughs) Alan is just in a bad mood, but it is a great episode we've got for you guys. We have just off the line with a brilliant chat with um, Scotland centre Joe Ansborough. Amazing insight into his career um, and a brilliant story about living with Chris Ashton when he was down at um, Northampton. Uh, but welcome back. Um, you're either listening to us on iTunes or the ACAST podcast app. Um, and you've been chatting to us a lot on Twitter this week at Thistle Rugby Pods. And if you're on iTunes, we've had a couple of great uh, reviews this week. But um, probably the best one was actually a review um, which has been updated by um, our good friend DM1971. So you may remember a couple of weeks ago he uh, he slagged Alan off for having a really nasal voice. <laughs> He said that we had um, old opinions and um, we stole them from other podcasts, which is only partly true. Um, but he's, he's updated it this week to say much better this week, really good opinions. Also, a podcast without Alan would be like Queen without Freddie Mercury or ACDC without Brian 
Johnson, I skipped to the station. The only downer was the suspicion that I might have been Stephen Jones. So there we go. We are changing opinions as we go. We had a couple other uh, great reactions to our uh, our episode with Nick Mullins last week. So thanks, guys. We really appreciate that. If you are enjoying what we're doing, get onto uh, iTunes, subscribe, leave us a review, um, and just let us know what you think. Again, on Twitter, at Thistle Rugby Pod. So, um, again, as I say, great episode. Uh, we just had a really good chat with Joe Ansborough. We're going to be getting into that in a minute. Um, but first up, we are going to have a look at some news, transfer news, and some sad retirement news from a couple of Scottish legends, and um, a look back at what was a pretty dismal weekend for the uh, the pro sides. But why don't we start off with um, breaking transfer news this morning, and that is uh, Edinburgh's Manu is um, off to Treviso, which seems like, I don't know, is that a sideways move or a step down? Matt, what do you think? I think in regular seasons it would be a step down, but this season it's pretty much a, a sideways. No, it, it seems as if um, they, they haven't been clear whether he's been released or sort of bought out of his contract. My suspicion is that he has been released. He's It's a shame because he came to the club with high expectations. Um, he's had sort of really injury-ridden two years um, barely played any matches, so maybe they just decided, you know what, back row is a position of strength. Let's just move him on, which is a shame. But you know, I think when he when he played, he, he gave his all, but he just probably hasn't done enough to to justify what I'm sure is quite a big wage. No, definitely, he probably just got a bit too comfortable at Edinburgh. I would think probably just a few too many long lunches in Stockbridge. Um, but no, sure, Treviso will um, hopefully sort him out. I mean, to be honest, he's he was captain of a super rugby winning team. And he's not an old guy. He's not like a 35-year-old guy looking for a final contract. He's he's 28. And, you know, he's only had sort of 12 caps over sort of the course of the two years. So it's quite it's quite annoying. I think a lot of people had quite high hopes for what he could do for Edinburgh. But, um, no, hopefully he'll, he'll go on to do some quite good things. Yeah, quite a nice uh, metaphor for Edinburgh Rugby there, taking a super uh, super rugby winning captain and uh, spitting, him out, <laughs> spitting him out two years later with 12 caps and sending him to Treviso. So uh, there you go. Um, another uh, somebody leaving, uh, Grayson Hart, who's I think had three or four caps for uh, for Scotland over the years, is um, is off uh, down to playing the... Is it, is it the championship or uh, it will be the championship for Ealing Trailfinders? What do you reckon to that, Matt? Um, yeah, well, I think like a, a few years ago, moving to, to Ealing, there were sort of bottom dwellers and actually yo-yoing between um, National One and the Championship. But they're third, I think, this year. They they just put I think seventy or so points on London Scottish at the weekend. So there's a, there's a chance that they might get promoted. Um, although I think this is the last year they're doing playoffs in the Championship. Um, he's been between Glasgow and Edinburgh for a few seasons now and hardly played any games. So I suppose the writing was on the wall. Um, Always did fairly well when he played, and he's been playing in, with the sevens at the moment, and, and from what I've seen, doing quite well. So I think he's been a pretty good good servant, but it's probably quite a good move for him as well. Yeah, and you, you mentioned London Scottish there. London Scottish announced this uh, this week that they've got a brand new um, chairman, a uh, chap called Malcolm Offord, financier from... Uh, from Edinburgh, and he gave quite an interesting interview to the Scotsman where he talked about really focusing on taking the club back to its um, its quite social, sort of semi-pro roots, which is quite interesting based on what the SRU have done over the last few years of um, pumping in money and players uh, and giving the sort of consultancy of Sean Lenine, um for a little bit. Did you guys make anything uh, much of that announcement? 
I, I kind of I do see the logic behind it, but it's hard in that championship league. You know, like when you've got teams like London Irish, Jersey to a point, Ealing and and Bristol who are coming down next season, who are all full professional teams, trying to sort of run this sort of semi-professional sort of social team in the championship. It it just sounds like you're going to end up coming ending up with a few sort of hammerings um, and you're going to sort of struggle to keep the players you need to um, really sort of succeed at a level. But, you know, it, it is, we've been down a couple of times and it's such a good sort of setup down there, so a great location. And, no, I hope that it all turns out pretty well for them. Yes, so so do I. So it'll be interesting to see how that um, that comes to pass over the next few months. Um, some uh, big sort of retirement news. A couple of Scotland um, and Glasgow Warriors legends. Firstly, Kelly Brown, former um, Scotland captain, has retired. He's going to be leading the, uh, the academy side at Saracens. And one that's much closer to all of our hearts, particularly... Uh, Particularly, Alan, um, big Sean Lamont hanging up, uh, hanging up his boots and his orange gloves. Yeah, I really hope Sean does sort of another naked calendar, sort of a final. <laughs> oh God! <laughs> Interesting insight, there, isn't it? Oh, jeez. Uh, yeah, final farewell to the Warriors fans. Um, no, I saw there was a saw there was a poll that everyone's trying to get him to bleach his hair and get those beautiful fluorescent orange fingerless gloves back so i mean i really really hope that does happen um but no you know he's been an absolute stalwart for glasgow and you know he's been around with sort of glenethley and northampton and from the looks of it no one seems to have really a bad word to say about him um same with kelly brown to be fair i don't think i've literally ever heard anyone not say kelly brown is a great guy yeah, the reaction to Kelly Brown's um, retirement on Twitter and stuff like that. It was, I mean, names from all over world rugby, like saying absolutely class act. And loads of people were really complimenting him on getting over his sort of childhood stutter and the, complimenting on him on the speeches that he made when he was Scotland captain um, after the matches, which were, which were absolutely class. And John Barkley put up a photo today um, of him, Johnny Beatty and, uh, and Kelly Brown just saying R.I.P., the killer bees, which I thought was uh, that was uh, that was pretty uh, pretty good stuff. Um, anything else news wise? Um, there was one thing I just I just wanted to raise. I don't know if you you guys seen it. As we get close, one week really until the Lions announcement, and as the more and more stories come out about you know who's going to be captain, who's going to be in the squad, I just sense this is a little bit of a a bit of an attitude that because of Scotland's fortunes failing in the last maybe last couple of weeks of the Six Nations and. Uh, in the last three weeks of European rugby, that it's better for Scotland to stay completely out of it or for Scotland players and coaches to not be involved. And I just, I mean, my personal opinion is that it's just completely bonkers. I mean, the Lions is the pinnacle of the European rugby game. And if we as a nation are just deciding that we don't want to be a part of it, be that at coaching level or probably just the fan level, I think the disinteresting uh, disinterest in the Lions is a really dangerous thing. It can only be good if Stuart Hogg is on that plane to New Zealand and playing against um, playing against the All Blacks rather than playing against Italy in Singapore in front of absolutely nobody. Yeah, I, I, I get some of the arguments that, you know, if, if if Scotland can have the strongest team possible and go and beat Australia down under, you know, that that's huge. But I just think at the same time that if you were to ask any of the the sort of prior Scottish Lions that have played and the, and the kind of the guys who are seen as legendary, like Tom Smith and and Andy Irvin, they would just talk about it in such a praiseworthy manner. Um, and I think that 
you know, the, the history and, and legacy of it is, is important. And I think at the same time, um, you know, the, the improvements that players can make, the likes of sort of Richie Gray, for example, going and playing with, with the likes of Paul O'Connell in the last Lions tour can only have been as good for his development. So I think it's a bit of a kind of small scholars mentality that, that a few people have, which, you know, I, I think is, is pretty out of line. Yeah, look, I mean, if anyone tries to tell me that Stuart Hogg playing against Italy in Singapore is going to be better for his career development than him playing against New Zealand in Auckland, then they're just full of shit. And <laughs> oh, it's true. Like, it's completely ridiculous. It's not like I want Scottish players to play for the Lions out of some sort of selfless act. It's selfish. They're going to be, they're going to be better for it. I'm going to be better being in this sort of environment, playing in the best players in the world and playing what is going to be, especially of all the Lions tours, probably sort of the most pressure from the media, from the fans and everything. And, um, no, I, uh, you know, I think we're all pretty massive fans of the Lions and we want to see the Scottish players representing and be out there. Yeah, I think there's sort of maybe a perceived lack of respect for Scottish rugby amongst the British Isles and what better way to prove that we are talented and we have sort of good enough players and to go to the Lions and, and succeed and hopefully get in that, that test team, um, which I think should be the attitude of, of all of those players. No, I agree. I, I do think there has been a slight annoyance that some of the Scotland players have had this bad game against England and it appears to have completely written them off. Whereas there has been players from other nations, or the, the other three nations, who have had mixed bags and are still are talked about because of their be- better games rather than their worst games, and I think that has been um, that has been something that I have have sort of noticed. And look, I hope hope we get a good bunch there. Um, and I and I think that also hawks back to the point that we chat about with no Scotland coaches being in the room. You know, if if people are making these decisions based off the Scotland England game, they don't know why. They might not know why Dunbar had a bad game. You, you know, it's just yeah. there's there's certain mitigating factors that are going to be sort of left that could be sort of left out. But um, like, I think it's what six days till it gets called. Yeah, it's, it's um, middle of next week. I can't remember exactly uh, exactly when it is. But yeah, everyone everyone out there should go back and read um, read Mark Palmer's interview with um, Tom Smith of the weekend. He gives a pretty. Uh, decent account of what it's like being a Scottish lion and um, his thoughts on, you know, why the Scottish coaches should possibly have not turned it down. Gregor Townsend excluded because I think he was pretty supportive of that decision. But um, we will come back to do the Lions uh, next week once we know uh, what we're talking about. I'm sure if you're listening to us, you also listen to about three other podcasts who uh, will give you a full Lions. Uh. Alan, you got one more thing to say? Yeah, and it's just because it's sort of uh, Scottish institutions, sort of Melrose Sevens this uh this weekend you know obviously great of melrose to sort of get get against the final sort of home crowd and sadly i think just so sort of second half just didn't have what it takes to sort of take quins at the end there i know the crowd i think the crowd were almost sort of 99% pro melrose at the end but Sweden beat Harriets, which oh, is always yes. a great thing great to see the swedes come down and take down the nails they have always been my favourite up and coming, uh, up and coming rugby nation. As always, get it up the nails. <laughs> but no, I mean Melrose just seems to go from strength to strength. It looks, it just looks like a great, it's a great day out, and um, people seem to love it. And uh, 
it's a great mix of you know the club rugby guys from uh, from Prem One and sort of mixing uh, touring sides from the Premiership and all over the world. It's a great, great festival of the game. Um, right, should we talk about um, the the pro sides? Um, let's start. Why don't we with Edinburgh versus Connet, um, which sounds to me like it was a, a pretty um, pretty dreadful match. Uh, yeah, it wasn't great. It was sort of one of those typical game of two halves um, where the first half, just Edinburgh were truly shocking, just so inconsistent. Um, you know, I think pretty much every single player, and actually I include um, Hamish Watson in that, doing one good thing, swiftly followed by a, a pretty average to terrible thing. And you know what? Connaught looked like a, just a really well-organized, um, if somewhat conservative side who played played it through the forwards, played it nicely, um, and just took their opportunities. Edinburgh gave away so many penalties, just easy, easy points to the, to the point where it was, I think, twenty nil, nineteen twenty nil at halftime. Um, I mean, being nilled at home is just it's just awful. And I just think watching it on TV, you could see the amount of empty seats at, at Meyer side. Um, and I, you know, I don't I don't blame people for not pitching up because this season for Edinburgh has been a, a complete joke. Um, yeah, and I think that's just so reflected when you look at the when you look at the Pro Twelve um, the Pro Twelve standings, which I did for the first time in a few weeks. And Edinburgh won, I think, won twenty three points, and then you've got the Dragons, Treviso, and Zebra. And I think, I think Treviso, or no, the Dragons are on twenty. Um, it's getting it's getting hella close, and we we don't. I mean, you just don't want to be associated with those guys. You consider them as the real dregs of the league. God, you're also negative. <laughs> Been hanging out with you for too long, man. That is fair. I don't know. Edinburgh all right in the second half. They came back pretty well. They were all right at best. <laughs> Connacht didn't do anything, and they still made so many mistakes. And I think we've we've bagged Edinburgh a lot, and we've bagged Duncan Weir a lot. And he's clearly low on confidence, and he's not playing at his best. But he just he's missing his kicks at goal, which is what he's pretty much there for, because he's not there to really run a game and put people in holes. And it just seemed like, once again, every single player they came back, but they could have won it. It was just so many basic mistakes. It didn't seem as if Edinburgh had any structure. It was just painful to watch. Yeah, I mean, my dad, who sort of stays out, he, he loves watching rugby, but stays out of the analysis side, sent me two messages during the Edinburgh game. One, ghostly Meyer side, Co- uh, Cockrell's got a big task on his hands here. And the second one is, the pudding having the worst game I've ever seen him play, he'd be lucky to get a game at Hillhead Jordan Hill. <laughs> so, you know, the fans aren't happy. Hillhead have a couple of good players back in the day, they're all right. Maybe the pudding should be sent out with the sevens. That seems to be sort of like a sort of general SRU policy these days. So sort of any Edinburgh players that need a bit of gate, bit of confidence, just get them out to Hong Kong for uh, the weekend. Um, Luke, we can sort of bang on about Edinburgh for probably an hour and a half, maybe. Yeah, probably. So why don't we? Uh, why don't we go and talk about um, another poor result? Let's talk about um, Glasgow losing to um, Munster. 10-9, again, kind of similar. They went 10-0 down um, and then had it all to do. And it was a bit of a shame because it, it wasn't Munster's strongest team, was it? Uh, yeah, I'm going to have to correct you there. It was 10-7, mate. Well, we can look forward to more mistakes from me in the quiz later as well. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I think that Munster were resting quite a few of their players because they pretty much guaranteed themselves a playoff spot. So um, Standard wasn't playing, Zebra wasn't playing. I don't think Conor Murray was playing. Um 
but you know, I kind of, I kind of get it. Like Glasgow, realistically, weren't going to qualify for the playoffs. So it's, I think it's quite hard to motivate yourself going to. Um, I think they played at Cork in the end. Um, it just seemed that it was sort of maybe symptomatic of Glasgow's season that they couldn't quite cope with the physicality in a big match, and they couldn't cope with a a rush defence, which I think they've really struggled against this season. And there seems, as we talked about the Saracens game, no real plan B um, when sort of that wide game plan um, doesn't work. So, you know, I think overall it's still been a good season for Glasgow. So I think they're going to learn a lot, but it, it is time to, to rebuild for next year, I suppose. Yeah, there's been a lot of negativity on this pod already. Sort of Lions, Edinburgh and Glasgow have sort of come out like real cranky today. I don't really know what's going on. I feel like, yeah, I feel like I'm rubbing off too much. Um, but no, it, I, I think on Glasgow, you're right. I think it's uh, it's time to sort of look forward to next season. It's quite hard, I guess, with Dave, Dave Rennie sort of probably going to be locked up till sort of July now because um, the Chiefs look pretty sweet. <laughs> uh, they scored one of the two best tries in the Super Rugby this week, and they're probably two of the best tries I think I've ever seen, if you get a chance to check it out. Um, but no, I think we've talked about it quite a few few times, and I think there there is something around the power in the pack that Glasgow sort of need to address um, over the summer. And I think it's something maybe sort of look at in a later pod, but we do seem to struggle with that rush defence. Um, when Russell's got the time, or when the Glasgow backlines are in general have the time, they can do some sort of magical things, but when they sort of feel the pressure, really sort of little mistakes seem to really sort of creep into the game. Um, but yeah, I think Zebra at home, Sean Lamont back on the field, bleached hair, hopefully. <laughs> it should be all right. I, re- I really, really hope he goes for the, 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 the bleached hair and the orange, and the orange gloves. Yeah. Surely, well, they were actually, Glasgow were doing quite a lot on their social media today and they put up some some vintage Sean Lamont photos from that great France game back in the day. And he just, he looked, he looks absolutely glorious back in his prime. So, um, enjoy your retirement, uh, Shawnee. But, um, as we said at the top, we had an amazing chat, um, earlier with, um, Joe Ansborough, um, who had a great career, uh, London Irish, Northampton, and, um, unfortunately shortened Scotland career, but, um, Enjoy the insight. He absolutely loves Scottish rugby uh, and chatting to us. Um, so enjoy it, guys. Hi, guys. We're lucky enough to be joined on the line by uh, Joe Ansborough. Joe, how are you doing, mate? I'm good, thank you very much. Uh, what have you been? Uh, what have you been up to today? Uh, yeah, just been uh, it's miserable weather. I'm in Southwest Scotland at the moment. Um, it's, yeah, four seasons in a day, just on the beach with my eight-month-old son, and wife and family. So it's been quite chilled out. I'm on school holidays. Uh, didn't get a lot of holidays when I played, so yeah, I'm making the most of the transition, to be honest. Uh, but yeah, how are you chaps? Yeah, good. K- kicking on. Looking forward to the uh, to the Easter break. Um, yeah, it's going to be good. <laughs> no, great. I've got a, going for a nice little hill walk on Friday. Should be delightful. That will be nice. <laughs> Oh, will be good. <laughs> Sounds lovely. lovely. Yeah. So in that in that spare time you've got, did you uh, get a chance to watch all the the Six Nations and then just sort of keep up with um, Edinburgh and Glasgow? Uh, well, I say a spare when, when school's on, school's on, and sadly uh, I, I, I coach as well. So Saturdays tend to be. Um, I managed to coax my team into watching the Scotland Ireland game as a rugby <laughs> session. Nice. Which was, uh, very educational and thoroughly enjoyable. Slightly stressful in that second half, but. Um, yeah, no, to be honest, um, 
not seen much of the the Rabo, but um, yeah, watched all the Six Nations games and you know, bar obviously the England game, uh, thoroughly enjoyed. Thoroughly enjoyed it, and you know, it seems like things are on the up for Scotland certainly, which is great to watch. Yeah, well, you know what? It'd be great to hear a bit about sort of um, your Scotland career and kind of almost kind of how you got there. I know you didn't really take sort of the normal route through kind of the SAU system. I know you were at sort of Cambridge University um, initially. So, yeah, it'd be good to just sort of talk us through um, how you went from Cambridge through to the Scotland team. Yeah, sure. Um, so, I think, yeah, I'd probably start from the top, really. I mean, so I was at Cambridge. Yeah, I, I, by the time I got there, I, I didn't really think I was going to be a professional rugby player, that's for sure. You know, my first 21 years, I grew up in Scotland, um, played club rugby at Stewartie Sharks in Castle Douglas, but all my school rugby was, was in Lancashire, a school called Stanley's College, and I went through the England school setup. Um, you know, I, that was a great, de- it still is a great developmental pathway, but to be honest, um, you know, it wasn't when I went to university to do natural sciences, quite an academic degree, I thought, you know, this is it. I'm going to be working in an office or a lab somewhere. Um, I had a bit of exposure to adult rugby before. I played the Langham Sevens, a uh, bit of rugby at Dumfries and Island Rugby Clubs in the summer holidays. But um, yeah, I didn't have much, you know, my expectations were quite low to be honest when I went to Cambridge. Uh, I didn't get a chance to train with the main team, the Blues. They didn't didn't want to, they weren't really too interested in me. And I just scraped into the under 21 side because there'd been a few injuries. Um, and fortunately for me, that all changed in my second year at Cambridge really quickly. Um, you know, I don't think I'd even been to the gym, to be honest. I was, I was still quite lightweight. And we played Samoa before they played the Autumn Internationals. And I'd been called into the main team. And uh, it was a baptism of fire, obviously. You know, I was probably like 20, maybe 19. Oh, my God. <laughs> that, sounds, that sounds absolutely awful. <laughs> Yeah, no. Well, to be honest, you know, obviously a lot of agents at the game. Um, and ultimately, that's where I got my contract from that game, or twenty-five minutes of that game is where I got my contract. I was knocked out after twenty-five minutes. Wow, um, that must have been some twenty-five minutes there. Sorry, that must have been some twenty-five minutes there. Yeah, well, it, it was it was good fun. I was, you know, I had nothing to lose apart from my consciousness, obviously. Um, <laughs> but, um, you know, I hit a hard line, made a, made a good break probably thought I was going to score and then woke up in you know with doctors <laughs> looking at me checking if I remembered anything that had gone on and uh, I, I ended up getting an offer uh, it was Budge Pountney was the director of rugby in Northampton at the time um, they offered me a contract in my second year at Cambridge um, I went on to go and play I, I recovered in time had my three weeks post concussion protocol pass managed to get a blue and uh, I had signed at, at Saints you know the blink of an eye really um and I was keen, you know, obviously I'd watched Budge play a lot and Tommy Smith was still there, Sean Lamont and, and quite a few other Scots joined while I was there. Um, at the time, they were struggling a little bit in Northampton and I had first and foremost looked at getting up to Glasgow once I realised that professional rugby was actually a valid option for me. And I'd seen a few guys I played with at school go through and play international rugby really young and I remember Matt Tate's debut wasn't yeah. wasn't a great game for him, but yeah. Yeah. he was eighteen years old, and I played with him, and I was like, yeah, yeah, it's just, maybe it's it's achievable. At my age, in my time, you know, a lot of not many people went on to be professional rugby players. It wasn't really seen as a career that was hugely accessible, and I think that's changed now. If you look at the under twenties and how many of those boys go on to, to to be fully capped, I think that pathway is a lot stronger now. 
But yeah, I mean, I looked up at Glasgow and uh, I remember meeting Sean Lanine at the time when I was about 20, 21, played table tennis with him. Uh, he wasn't particularly fussed, to be honest. Um, you know, he wasn't too fussed. I, I, you know, I was quite keen to move back home and it was disappointing. But then, to be honest, um, by the time I started at Saints, it was Jim Mallander, Dorian West, Paul Grayson. Um, you know, it was, a, it was a good setup. We're in the championship. I was given opportunities to play. It was, it was a, you know, quite a, a gentle transition into adult professional rugby for me. Um, that said, you know, they weren't mass. You know, they weren't too keen on me playing for Scotland. Uh, <laughs> how, yeah. how well you know the system with English qualified players in the in the Premiership, and it's, yeah. it's quite a big push at that. Um, and obviously, if I represented Scotland, I wouldn't be English qualified, which would affect the books to some extent. So it took about two years before I took matters into my own hands um, and I'm toured with Scotland Day. So that's 2009. In those two years, were the SIU sort of tapping you up to say, come on, come along, uh, we'd like to get yeah, you involved? Absolutely. I had contact when I was at Stewartry with Glasgow District, you know, yeah. playing up in Ayrshire. And, and then John Jeffries, Scotland 20s, it was 20s at, uh, 21, sorry, at the time, um, before the 20s took over. And, you know, that was something that we'd considered. And it, it was all a little bit tricky because obviously I was, I was contracted to Northampton at the time and you can't just go off and I think it's going to tours in South Africa. I, I wasn't allowed to go. Um, well, I. I, I it wasn't appropriate for me to get yeah, yeah. my contract paid by Saints. So I kind of just kept my head down and tried to make it into the first team, to be honest. I didn't want to rock the boat too much. But obviously, talking to Tommy and Sean, you know, I, they knew I was keen. Um, yeah. But I, I was, it, yeah, there was a lot of headwind, let's put it that way. Um, and to be honest, uh, you know, once I actually finally was capped for Scotland Day, I, I didn't hear from. Scotland for a year after that. It was it was probably my fault to be honest. I was a little bit soft. I think I spent the entire time in Romania injured, <laughs> uh, enjoying the scenes, not really giving a good account of myself on the field. And I got, I got a bit of a, a stick from my coaches at Northampton after that. Um, but it all worked out in the end. So yeah, it was yeah. a yeah, it was it was a, it was a nice transition. It was it was a bit of a shock to the system going from a student accommodation and then within a year I was living with uh, Steve Marlow and Chris Ashton in the. <laughs> in some flat in Northampton, uh, you know, all of us very, very, very new to professional rugby union, and uh, and to be honest, we had a, you know we had a, we all had a great time at Saints. It was a fantastic club, and you know I spent about five years there. It was brilliant. How uh, how was living with Chris Ashton? <laughs> it was entertaining. Yeah, it was entertaining. There was um, I can't say too much, but uh, there was one particular moment. Um, no was kind of brought back to me quite recently. I was at Stephen Marley's testimonial dinner uh, last week. And I remember being in London, visiting my, my then girlfriend, now my wife, and got a, and a phone call at 5pm on a Sunday. And it was Chris, and I picked it up, and he's really worried. He's like, you know, we've, oh, Joe, we've, we've been broken into. Someone's burgled our house. And I was like, oh, no, it's a disaster. Uh, right, Carly, I've got to go. You know, apparently we've been robbed. First train back to Northampton. You know, obviously quite agitated, stressed out. Get in there, house is fine. Well, it's not the tidiest house, but there's nothing wrong. And it turns out he was just a bit bored. 
I was particularly pleased when I found yeah, that. Yeah, man. Although I should I should have been obviously, but uh, yeah, I, 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 I found it quite funny. <laughs> a few days afterwards, I wasn't best pleased at the time, shall we say? So, uh, yeah, yeah. It, was, it was it was entertaining. That's probably the best way to describe it. Did you uh, do you spend any time in, with Carlos Spencer as well? Then yeah, no. Carlos was the um, he was the, the fly half when I joined, which was which was incredible. You know, like I said Tommy Smith, Sean, these guys have all watched Carlos Spencer, uh, Bruce Rahan. I'd seen play a lot as well. Yeah. All these guys were involved um, when I joined Saints. Um, and some guys obviously cracked on and ended up being big names. Uh, Tom Gawir did well. He was quite quiet at the time, and then he ended up being a huge player in the Premiership. And obviously Courtney, Courtney Laws, and those chaps. Um, but it, it was—you you definitely had to adapt how you played when someone like Carlos is at ten. You know, normally when you're playing thirteen, you, you kind of—you normally you're quite—you're quicker than the fly half. You, you've got to hold your run a little bit. You don't want to overrun it. With Carlos, you, you'd start running before he got the ball. To be honest, <laughs> you take his uh, it took a while for me to climb. I, I, I can't say I ever really. I was, I was a little bit. I was quite inexperienced, obviously, straight out of uni. And I played quite a few games alongside him, but I, I, I can't. I don't think I ever made the most of the opportunity, to be honest. Sadly, but uh, yeah, he was obviously uh, yes, a serious player, and it, it was an honour to play alongside him. Yeah, it definitely sounds that way. Um, and then, so sort of going back to the Scotland career, um, what, when was your your first cap, and who was it that that capped you, coaching wise? So my first, so 2009, uh, you know, I take the plunge um, and play Scotland Day. So I kind of I got capped against Uruguay for the A team, uh, and then it was 2010 when I got my first cap. So a year, full year later, just radio silence, um, and I think it was after a few, you know, a couple of good Heineken Cup games for the Saints, and uh, Andy Robinson phoned me up. Initially, I was in contact with Frank Haddon. He was he was the guy in charge when I when I you know, was sending out the feelers, and then uh, Robbo kind of called me into the camp before the Autumn Internationals 2010. And I was very much under the impression that it would be a bit of experience just to get a feel of the international environment, meet up with a few of the players. Uh, and I, I was there for for three weeks, and I watched the New Zealand game. Uh, I think we we shipped about fifty points. <laughs> so I was, in, I was at Murrayfield watching that, that game sounds about right. and I was going to play for Scotland Day the next week against the USA so I was driving down uh, to Netherdale and um, met up with the A team I was going to be playing on the wing I remember but Max Evans had a bit of a hamstring niggle at 13 so I'd been covering for him in the week and they yeah. said yeah Max is fine you go play, play against USA and there I was driving down um, within five minutes of getting there got the call you're starting in South Africa at 13. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> and, <Yeah. laughs> it, was, uh, it was, you know, the boys wished me luck, obviously, after what happened the week before. They were, you know, wishing, really wishing me luck, so to speak. And um, I, was just, I was just absolutely ecstatic, to be honest. I, I didn't think it was going to happen. Um, I had, had trained in that position, but, uh, you know, 13 was certainly my preferred position. I, I, was, I was quite pleased to be, to be playing with that on my back. And, South Africa, I played against a few of those boys. Uh, De Villiers was the... Ready to pop the question? 
The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free. Or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. 12, and I knew him quite well with the Heineken Cup games. And, and Robbo was great. He just said, you know, just do, it, do what you do well. That's why we've picked you. I didn't have to overcomplicate it. There was no pressure on me. Um, it was very emotional, but it was a good mix. No pressure, but, you know, I was very much pumped for the game. Um, you know, it meant a lot to me. Murrayfield was where I watched all my watched all my rugby as a kid. Um, you know, and there I was on the pitch, representing my home nation. All my family watching. Um, I didn't, yeah. You know, in my my from my opinion, just there and then, I, I you know it, it wasn't going to get any better. Um, and you know, it, it did somehow. <laughs> we actually beat them, which is fantastic. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So it, it, it was certainly, you know, I was happy to be there. I knew I was going to give everything. I wasn't going to miss tackles, and I was going to run hard and try and link up with and, and and just add as much value to the team as I could. But uh, you know, I, I was just happy. I was just really pleased to be on the pitch, to be honest, and, and sing the anthem. Um, and then to win the game at the end yeah, was phenomenal. It was a great start to to a, mm. a relatively short career, but uh, you know that that was certainly my, my top memory for Scotland by a long shot. Um, and it was a fantastic evening as well. Um, swimming at seven am wasn't that great the next day. But, <laughs> you know, you, you got to recover, and like all things in professional rugby, you know what a win. But then Samoa in Aberdeen the next week, you've got to you know refocus. Oh, that's right, good. Yeah. Beating the world, the current world. So was that a, was that a big night in um, a big night in Opal Lounge? Was it? Oh, of course, yeah. No, <laughs> the world, the world famous. Amicus Athol was was going strong at the time, and uh, Chris Cusseter was kind of involved in that. Mm. So we all yeah, went to yeah. Amicus It was great. I mean, all you know, I think my brother was on a stag do, so he'd been at the game. He he lives up in Inverness, and he was down. I didn't actually see him, but he was at the game and having a great time. And all my family were there, my wife's family were there, and friends, and it was just. It was phenomenal, and you obviously had to wear my first cap. And every player buys you a drink, and you do a drink with every player. And <laughs> oh sure, <my> it's <laughs> um, pretty sure he got me three drinks, which wasn't a great start to my evening. And yeah. you do all the songs on the bus, and it was, it was phenomenal. Yeah, it was a really, really good experience. Uh, but it was, it was always going to be difficult to top. But um, you know, we came close a few times, to be honest. Um, but uh, yeah, no, it was, it was good fun. Yeah, how was uh, how was the twenty eleven World Cup? Because um, you, you travelled down to New Zealand, didn't you? Yeah, well, we went to Australia first, which was glorious weather, and then we went to New Zealand, and I, I, I kind of, it dawned on me, it made a lot of sense why so many New Zealanders come to Scotland, and why so many Scots come to New Zealand. <laughs> it just rained at us for, for three straight weeks, I mean, oh, it was miserable, the weather uh, that was. Obviously, beautiful country, beautiful people. Uh, we were in Invercargill for two weeks, um, which, which was, was great, Um you know, 
quite a congested schedule at the start with Romania and Georgia, and, um, which which resulted we absolutely in squeaked past both of them. Um, I seem to remember. But, we managed we managed to just squeak past both of them, if I remember. Yeah, well, it was. It's yeah. You know, if I'm brutally honest, you know, on the pitch, I, I didn't enjoy the World Cup at all. To be honest, there, uh, you know, the, when you tour with Scotland, you're always going to have a good time because the you know the management team, the players, they're brilliant. Yeah. You know, really very humble group, but just just nice guys, uh, and so it's always it's always fun, but. Obviously, not getting out of the groups yeah. was mildly traumatic. Well, it was quite very traumatic, to be honest. And um, there's a lot of things that you know. We, ultimately, we didn't get our preparation right. And uh, I, you know, I, I played in that game in Auckland when we when we lost to England, and uh, you know we, we massively underachieved um, as a squad, which is really frustrating. Um, and you know, obviously, I, I said at the end, my parents had come out to watch, and I was like, you know, I'll stick around for a couple of days and you know, just have a look around New Zealand. And or, after a day, I was like, let's get me on a flight back. <laughs> to be honest, this is yeah. uh, it just was raining, and obviously yeah. it just it was it was miserable. It was it was really tough, and obviously, um, you know, we had so much support out there. It what? was um, it was unbelievable the amount yeah. of support we had. I, mean, I still remember walking past. We're walking down the docks in Auckland, and there was just uh, just bagpipers outside England's really? restaurant, just playing, <laughs> just loving life. Uh, and, and everyone was just like, "Come on!" You know, everyone was just backing us to win that game, and it was just so it was it was upsetting to not to not to not do the business, to be honest, and not get through, or even just be just to, you know, we we could have won that game. It, it will yeah. always kind of be one of the games that I least enjoy looking back on. But obviously, you know, it's a privilege to be on the field. And, and to, to partake in such a big game, but you, you really want to win those games, and we didn't manage it, sadly. Talking about a slightly better time in the rain, how about the, the Scotland-Australia game when you clashed heads with uh, old Strokoff? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we, we were always going to ask yeah, you about I, that. Yeah. <laughs> of course, of course. Well, I, you know, I teach now, I say it comes up quite a lot in lessons. Oh, really? Uh, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, I've got to watch my back sometimes. Um, I think it's been doing the rounds. But um, <laughs> yeah, no, it was. You know, that was that was a re- again. That was a very frustrating time in my career in the lead up to that game. I'd I'd moved to London Irish, um, which was a great move for me in terms of how I wanted to develop as a player, in terms of decision making. Mike Cat, obviously, fantastic coach. Yeah. And I was working under him and a, and a good centre. And I I played about ten games, I think. Yeah, you know, I'd, I'd slipped two discs, um, so I missed the, the 2011 Six Nations. I was trained all week to play against England. That. The, probably the most frustrating Scotland game I ever watched was uh, I think it was Dave Denton's debut, and Scotland were just all over England. It was Stuart Lancaster's first game, oh, and yeah, we still yeah. lost somehow. The charge down. Uh, I think we we just dropped. Yeah, it was Charlie Hodgson got a charge. He got a charge down in the last ten minutes. Opportunities. Um, I, I, you know, I was I trained all week for that game, and I was in, you know, and then I just my back went again, and I was another four or five months out. So I'd yeah. watched. I think we got the wooden spoon. I'd watched it all. Uh, didn't get to play a lot for my new club. It was off the back of the 2011 World Cup as well. So you know, I would, I'd like to forgive myself for getting overexcited when we did beat Australia. <laughs> game, but, uh, you know, I'm not normally known to celebrate, but it was everything. You know, we'd 
I'd worked closely with the squad and we were looking at, you know, that was my remit was defence and how, you know, how we shut down uh, Australia. We worked closely with Duncan Hodge at the time and, mm. um, you know, we need to stop these guys attacking, you know, Genya, Ione, some great players, uh, Pocock, all mm. those guys. And, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't a classic game. Uh, the conditions didn't favour any team, to be honest. Um, but to, to actually grind out that win, um, after the season Scotland had had and I've watched it and it's not fun losing all your games in Six Nations I, I wasn't part of that squad um, yeah. but you know you let it you, you let you know, you're kind of letting down your teammates you're letting down yourself you're letting down your family but you're letting down you know, a nation obviously and it, it does weigh on you a lot and for the boys to go out there and turn it around and win that game yeah I did get a little bit overexcited I admit and uh 48 stitches later. Um, 48? Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, it was bad. There was, there was um, three layers of stitching. So it was all the way to the bone, skull. Uh, there were cosmetic surgeons at the game, and they worked on me for an hour and a half. Fucking putting hell. Putting me back together. Um, so, yeah, we were staying in Manly. I was getting quite good at surfing. I wasn't allowed to go in the water. wasn't really allowed to go in the sun. And, oh, that was annoying. But in two weeks... But then two weeks later, I meet my, my old friends again in Samoa. Yeah. It's the third time I played against them in my career. And uh, so I managed to get back in time just about for that. I missed the Fiji game, but uh, two weeks later, all the strapping in the world opened up again within five minutes. Um, <laughs> but obviously got to play the full game, which was fun. Yeah. And that was the last time I played for Scotland. Was that your last, your last cap then? Yeah, that was the last time. It was victory in Apia against Samoa. Which was, uh, I think I played. Tw- yeah, what was the last I play? No, I was thirteen, but um, it was mm. it was a good. It was short, yeah, really short, short but sweet. Um, sorry, that, short but sweet. But the, the the guys you were the guys you were sort of in that squad with um, have now gone on to mm. be. I mean, guys like Greg Laidlaw, um, Richie Gray, uh, Stuart Hogg in particular have really gone on to become sort of uh, stalwarts in this emerging Scotland side now. I mean, like. What were they like to, to sort of play with at that at that time? And did you sort of think that those guys were going to go on and be sort of big parts of the future of Scotland rugby? Well, I think with Richie in particular, um, you know, he, he was very young when when he started, and he had a phenomenal first. We had we started in the same Six Nations, and he was phenomenal. I still remember the France game, the Stade de France, and he was just unstoppable. And I think it's it's perhaps been you know with injuries. Um, Continuity changing clubs, and he went to Sale, and then he went off to France. It's been maybe tricky for to maintain momentum, um, and that's yeah. one thing that's great at Glasgow at the moment. They're playing well, the boys are playing with each other, and you see with obviously Hoggy, you know, he's just getting better and better. You know, him and Russell have a good, seem to have a really good understanding, and they've got a lot of X factor, which you know really builds belief in that squad. Um, and and. Greg Laidlaw was always a fantastic decision maker. He missed out on the 2011 World Cup, but he was running the sessions that whole summer. You know, he was uh, Mike Blair and Chris Custer obviously you know, struggled a bit with injuries at that time in their career, and, and Greg was always involved nine or ten. Yeah, it was very unfortunate to miss out, and he, he was always going to come through after that experience and, and be a dominant force in Scottish rugby. I think, um, but yeah, I'm still you know when I watch. Scotland play now, you know, it's the best side I've seen play since 1999. Um, when you know we probably should have grand slammed it, 
if we kicked our goals. Yeah, uh, but you know, still, but still won the Five Nations. Uh, the attacking options are fantastic, um, and it is that X factor and Hoggy and, and Finn Russell obviously are running the show there. But it does help when when Glasgow can go down to Welford Road and dominate. And I know SR, the SRU are working hard to get Edinburgh up to speed, and that's only going to build the momentum. Um, and then you know you can't forget the boys playing in the Premiership and in France. So there is more depth. Um, and I think Richie and Greg are obviously, and, and Hoggy are, are, are huge leaders. And, and that when they play well, Scotland play well, without a shadow of a doubt. And that's what happened. Obviously, we lost Greg from sure injury, but that's what happened in the Six Nations. Those key players just made a huge difference, and it, and it galvanises the boys. No, definitely. Uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how many of them go on the Lions. I think it's what, a week until. They're announcing it, so hopefully we can yeah, get. Yeah, don't ask me to be honest. I mean, obviously, <laughs> no, no. It's, it's difficult. It's a common question, but um, I think that there's a lot of those boys. Yeah, you could think of ten players in that Scotland squad who, you know, with various combinations, can yeah. make it. I, I don't know if there'll be that many overall, but there's certainly uh, depends what Gatlin's looking for. Obviously, with his combinations in the midfield and the back row and the second row, but there's certainly. Uh, Ten or so players who, who who are worth a shot, and uh, and I don't know how it will play out, but uh, you know that's phenomenal that they've put themselves in that position uh, to to be selectable, and and they'll do if they do get this this shot, they'll do a good job, and some of them could could hopefully make the test team as well. Yeah, definitely. So you're telling us you don't keep it keep up with the the rumor mill with any of your old mates about what, who might be getting in or out. Well, you know, ultimately. Um, you know, everyone has their own Lions team, don't they? Um, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's I, hear, I hear enough about it. Uh, what I can say is a lot of them are making the fantasy rugby teams, which bodes well. You know, in terms of the general public, you yeah, know, definitely, they're very well rated. <laughs> These, you know, uh, the attacking options that in Scotland are, you know, they're envied. To honest, how clinical they are. I mean, we didn't get. I think in that Ireland game, we got onto the Irish twenty-two four times, three tries. Yeah. Uh, oh, in the first. I'm one nearly near try. Um, you know, when when they get in, when the management, the game management's good, and Scotland get into the right areas, we just look lethal, which I've not seen for a really long time. Yeah. Well, so it's very exciting. Which is the, which is the big change, um, actually scoring tries because we seem to go through a decade of at least of just relying on Chris Patterson's right boot, which was great, but you know, you've got to score tries to win games. Yeah, absolutely. And you need good decision makers to get you in the positions where you can score tries, but you also need a set piece that is going to function under pressure. And Yeah, definitely. You know, I, I've been watching some of my old games, trying to get them off, my, off the telly, unrecorded. Uh, and, <laughs> you, know, you, you kind of, you lament, and you think, oh, you know, we had a line out there and we didn't win it. Or, yeah. you know, we've knocked on, you know, pick and go, and we've knocked on the try. And it's just that composure under pressure to yeah. execute. Yeah. Uh, Easier said than done in an international arena because there's so much pressure. But uh, there is you know, there's something about this group of players that they, they, they seem to be able to deliver that consistently now. It's just about getting them into that position. You know, that game management is going to be a big thing in the future. Um, you see that with, with obviously Johnny Sexton now Ireland. He seems to be very good at getting Ireland in the right places to strike. And, and uh, But it is exciting. You know, obviously, I still wake up in cold sweats when I think about the England game but um, you know, that, that, that's game management and defence you know, they're, they're things that you can you can work on relatively you know, they're not it's not rocket science 
just application and hard work and and that kind of yeah. cohesiveness that comes with playing rugby together day in day out, which a lot of these boys in Glasgow and Edinburgh are doing. And then you add a bit of you know sprinkle a bit of stardust with the boys playing the Premiership, you know, uh, or in France, obviously Greg and Richie were, were phenomenal. This this Six Nations for us and. You think about the guys who aren't playing, and there's some really good players who aren't making that squad, which means that the depth is is, is getting there, isn't it? Yeah. No. Did you did you work with Gregor Townsend at all? Was he backs coach? Um, yeah, he was. Was yeah, he was? Um, you know, obviously, it's no surprise how well he's done since he took the Glasgow job, and obviously going into the into the into the main seat this summer. Yeah. Um, yeah, he, he was he was brilliant coach to work with. Um, you know, particularly predominantly skills and backs coach when I worked um, with him, and just obviously first and foremost a very good bloke, which you need um, in in that coaching role, and just his uh, very relaxed attitude. You know, he coached in many ways as he played. And he didn't put pressure on you if you made mistakes. It was all about that decision making process and and that. You know, just being in a position where you could learn and could improve, um, and also he'd stay out for you know, for a long time doing extras with you as well. You could yeah. just say, you know, can I do a bit of this? Can I do a bit of that? And he'd stay there, and you know, a couple of other players, and you just do extras, 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 extras. And he clearly enjoyed doing that, and you know, fantastic work ethic. And you know, I've obviously not worked under him as a head coach, but it's by all accounts, he's just got better and better. Yeah. Yeah. So what what are you uh, so what are you up to now post um, rugby? Ah, so um, yeah, bits and bobs initially. To be honest, so I retired. It took me about twelve months. So I broke my neck um, yeah. in a tackle in Cork. Uh, it took me about twelve months to kind of physically recover and to kind of close to a level where I was before I got injured. Yeah. Um, more, probably more like university level conditioning, but um, but you know, kind of normal, shall we say? Um, yeah. But yeah, obviously psychologically, it takes a lot longer. Uh, I'm just, I'm still, still getting there. But uh, yeah, I, I don't think I'll be hitting many rocks anytime soon. But <laughs> um, but yeah, so my first job offer after that was um, within rugby. Uh, I didn't, I didn't really consider it uh, at the time. It was probably a little bit too fresh for me, but. You know, I had a huge amount of support from London Irish, the SRU, the RPA, the Players Association in, in the Premiership, and obviously just a general rugby community, and um, that certainly helped looking, you know, looking into the future and, and, and you know, deciding what I wanted to do myself. And uh, yeah, I got a my first non-rugby contract was was uh, in investment banking, um, but I didn't sign it. Uh, I decided to become a biology teacher instead. Uh, the oh, world the money. Of teaching uh, <laughs> was the, was the route I took. Um, I, I had a great school, to be honest, I, I, and I very much enjoy it. So I'm I'm teaching at Harrow School, um, which obviously academically very strong, but also I was surprised by the caliber of its rugby program. To be honest, um, there's two prominent Alderovians in the current England squad, um, and coming through I've been coaching the first for two years now first 15 and we've had seven professional contracts wow Jesus um, I've been really surprised by how good some of these boys are and yeah it's, it's a it's a really good setup there uh, it certainly eased my transition from professional sport being involved with athletes of that caliber at the same time getting to use my brain again 
trying to recover some of the brain cells I lost playing the game. So, uh, <laughs> so can we see you climbing that climbing that coaching ladder, or are you going to stay on the uh, on the academic side? Uh, it's a difficult one, to be honest. Um, it's you know, rugby's changed changes so quickly. Professional rugby, um, and it's, it's like you say, you know, I, I played with a lot of these boys. Uh, we're talking about you know, Stuart Hogg and Richie Gray and Greg Laidlaw and. I've, you know, I because I'm not in that environment at the moment. I can't, I couldn't honestly tell you how different it is. It might be quite similar. I, I, I severely doubt it. It certainly seems to be the yeah. you know, intensity's picked up a lot since I played. Um, there is more pressure, obviously. There's, there's a greater following as well. It's all, it's all moving in the right direction. But um, I, cer- I certainly enjoy the balance of teaching and coaching at the moment. Um, uh, and you know, I think it's 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 a it's quite a healthy setup for me. And, I'll certainly be doing it for a few more years. Sounds great. We'll see how many more um, English internationals you can spit out the other side of your uh, your first fifteen, yeah, well, or, or we see had if you the can. Scotland under 18s boy, to be honest. Well, he didn't quite make the Scotland under eighteens, um, ah, but he's yeah. now gone to England eighteens. This is bad news for, for the that's, Scotland. A, that's, that's a real but, shame. That, he was worked. let go by Scotland. This is what we need. Go. We need you to keep an eye on people with Scottish grandmothers and things like that who are at Harrow as well. Well, he was. Uh, his brother was Scotland twenties. He was up there, and he was number eight, good player. And um, sadly, you know, they did. They weren't overly interested up north, and he's now playing England eighteens. Um, uh, he's, he's, oh, he's no. Shocking. <laughs> signed, at, signed at Saracens as well. But oh, for Christ's sake! So now he's going to be in Canada. Boys, obviously Zach Mercer, another example of a, yep. yeah, a Mercer, yeah. so wasn't he? And uh, hmm. he's now down Captain England twenties. But um, there's oh. there's there's a lot of good Scottish players down in the in the English school system who are, as far as I know, very much devoted to going back up to play for Scotland, which is good news. Um, and obviously news. this the Edinburgh school system, uh, and just to, you know, there's a lot of good schools in Scotland actually playing very well. We were down at Rosslyn Park a few weeks ago, and I know Merkiston had a good run. Yeah, they always go down there and do quite well. Uh, yeah, the schools, the schools in, uh, in Edinburgh and, and Glasgow seem to be getting getting a lot better as well, which is uh, good to see. Um, but but Joe, honestly, thank thanks so much for your time, um, and hope everything uh, continues to go well, and you can send a few of your Harrow lads up to play for the Scotland age groups, and then uh, for Edinburgh and Glasgow, and then Scotland in uh, in years to come. Yeah, I'll be looking out for them, don't worry. Yeah, good <laughs> stuff. Uh, well, cheers, Joe. Uh, all the best. Have a good one. Cheers, guys. Thanks very much. Thanks cheers. Wow, that was uh, that was absolutely brilliant. What, uh, what did you make of that, Alan? Yeah, just just really, really interesting, interesting guy. Um, you know, great to hear sort of just about how he sort of came through, how he came through sort of Northampton Saints Um I don't really know how much that sort of happened now these days. Even now, with sort of playing Cambridge Uni, playing Samoa, and then getting signed up to play the Saints, it's just I just don't think it's something that would happen. Even sort of seven, eight years on, but yeah, clearly loves loves rugby, loves Scottish rugby. So no, great to do, great to speak to him. Yeah, it was a real real shame that his career got uh, got cut short as it is. But it sounds like he's um, he is making sure that the next generation are coming through, and hopefully, he can find some of those uh, those English lads that fancy a game for Scotland but uh, we won't keep you for much longer guys but uh, Matt has promised us his best ever quiz so um, we'll pass over to that Matt why don't you take it away yeah I mean big big claim there but 
Um, once again, when I was supposed to be working, I've come up with what I think is a pretty good quiz. Um, so hopefully, uh, listeners will enjoy it and you two will enjoy it and hopefully know a few questions. Um, so the first one I'm going to do, I don't know if you guys have seen it before, but um, I think the All Blacks every year have a kind of a social where they all turn up in their original club strip. So with that as a sort of theme, I was I was wondering if you could name um, these current or and past Scottish players and their original clubs. Um, I can see your faces thinking you're not that confident, but I think <laughs> I think I think you will get most of them at least, or I hope so. Um, so the first one I'm going to go for is Ross Ford, his original club. You got it, big man. Yeah, I've got this. You stay away. Stay away. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great radio. Uh, yeah, Ross Ford, number one. Tom Brown is number two. Uh, that's a bit of a gimme. Um, Pete Horn is your number three. Yeah. Um, your man, Gordon Reed, number four. And um, Scottish legend, Chris Patterson, is number five. Um, so tell me the answers at the end. Um, moving on. Got answers to all those? Moving on. Um we're going to move to a shirt sponsors slash kit manufacturer question. <laughs> so here we go. Can you, working backwards, can you name, including the current kit, the last three kit makers that have made the Scotland strip? I think the first two are okay. It's, it's the third one that's, you're getting into vintage Scotland shirt territory. I'll give you a li- little clue with that. I mean, we had Canterbury for a really long time. I'm just trying to remember who was before that. Well, you've probably just given Alan an answer there, so well done, mate. I'd be surprised if Alan didn't have Canterbury there. I look in his face, he didn't have it, so... <laughs> um, right, do we have answers for that? You got an attempt at least? Um, oh, yeah. And then, working backwards, I want you to give me the last three shirt sponsors. <laughs> I've got the last two, okay. uh, but yeah, bloody third one. Yeah. The third one's tough. Oh, the God. third one's tough. I'm not even sure if it is still an ongoing company, but oh really? It's not the it's not the bird, is it? <laughs> um, that was the fourth one. So oh. it's it's not famous grouse. I can tell you that. Oh, I, yeah. Sorry. I had that as the second one, so this, I mean, that's good because it gives me a chance to uh, to redo. Oh, no, I know what the second one was. Okay, well, we'll see that. Um, and then a bit of an odd one, um, but I'm giving you some options. Um, this is, once again, I've taken this off from Wikipedia, so once again, this is according to Wikipedia. What is the official kit font of the current Scotland kit? So, here we go. Oh, look what? at these. These are great. So, we either have A... Aerial rounded MT bold. <laughs> B Baskerville old face. Or C en- engravers MT. So I mean you you've got you know a thirty three percent chance there. I mean you're not doing much for our listenership there. I mean fonts. Are you mad? I think I think it's quite interesting personally, but maybe that just reflects the kind of guy I am. Um okay, so I presume that you've got a guess for that. Um, and then final question. These are all over the place, I suppose. But which club has produced the most Scottish internationals in history? And if you're if you're right, then you get a bonus point if you can name any of those 
internationals. I think it's a it's it's quite a tough one, but it's, it's a good it's a good one. I think. Um, so see how you do there. Doing okay with that? Yeah. Got a guess. There's been quite a lot of guesses in this one. Um. So running through the answers. Um. So the the club the original clubs. What what do we get here? What do we get for Ross Ford? I did not have an answer. I Kelso. Kelso is correct, sir. Well done, Ross Ford. I think his brother still plays there, actually. Um, and Tom Brown, I presume we all got that? Wait, is it like school or club? Oh, right, because they're different, I think. It's, yeah, Edinburgh Ackies. Yeah, Edinburgh Ackies. Yeah, I think he, he did play at Curry, but I think he would have played at Edinburgh Ackies before that. So, um, Pete Horn, what do we get for that? You How a five? How a five. How a five is correct. So that's two, two, one. Three, three, two. Sorry, um, Gordon Reed. What do we get for that? Anyone confident? Got to be an air man. I went for air as well. You definitely didn't. I can see you not right now. <laughs> air is correct though. Um, and Chris Patterson. What do we have for that? Uh, gala, gala, gala. Well done. So that's five four. That's pretty strong in the end. Um, okay, so. Let's go through the last three kit man- manufacturers working backwards. What do we got for that? I went Macron, Canterbury, Cotton Traders. I went for Gilbert. There's no Gilbert. Dave takes it. Oh, <laughs> that is a, I mean, technically Cotton Oxford, but I'm bloody, I'm giving you Cotton Traders. That is an excellent answer. Um, I don't know. And then before that, it was Pringle. That was the fourth one. That was a good kit. That's the glory days, the the Pringle kit. Um, Well done, mate. Um, So I think you take the lead with that. Oh, no, you're you're joint. Um, And then the last three shirt sponsors, what do we have for that? That's quite a tough one. I had, wait, current one's BT. Then RBS. Then Murray? That's right. I, I forgot about RBS. I had BT and then Murray and then Famous Grouse. BT, RBS, then Murray is correct. 6-5. <laughs> Bloody hell. Well done, lads. I didn't think you get many of those. Um, and then what do we got for the official kit for font? A, B, or C? Uh, Whatever what one um, Baskerville was, because I like the name. I will go for C. You're both wrong. Basketball Old Face is the font that I use at work. Um, and Aerial, Aerial Rounded MT Bold, according to Wikipedia, is the official font of the Macron kit. So there you go. You've got to be worried about the, the lad that goes on Wikipedia to add that fact to the Scotland team. Like, why? It definitely wasn't me. So, um, I think the lady protests too much on that one. Bloody hell. Um, Okay, so 6-5 still then uh, to Alan. So here we go. Which club has produced the most Scottish internationals? What do we get for that? Hoig. I've gone a bit rogue and gone Edinburgh University. You're both wrong. Um, The correct answer is London Scottish with 220 internationals over time. And And that includes people who've, you know, the likes of Gavin Hastings and Kenny Logan. Who've played for them at some point. Yeah. Once again, it's Wikipedia, so blame the fan. It's definitely London Scottish there. Even if you um, 
exclude those guys there way above anyone. And I reckon Hoik is close after that and then maybe someone like Edinburgh Ackies. But Leonard Scottish is definitely the most. So Alan takes it. That is delightful. I thought the uni teams from back in the day would have like had quite a substantial amount of people. You done that? You done much research, mate? Back back in the late nineteenth century, there was quite a lot of uni lads. You don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Wikipedia knows what it's talking about, so I think all most of our quizzes have been based on Wikipedia. So we've got to you know stick to that. Yeah, it sounds like I guess we. I mean, produced is a difficult word there. Like. Surely London Scottish isn't producing all of those players. Like, as if Big Gav is not affiliated to Watsonians. Yeah, but if he's capped first out of that club, which I think is what the definition is, then, yeah, I think that's fair enough. Big Gav was destroyed by Watsons. It 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 needed London, had to leave to really be, to become who he was. Um, No, that was absolutely delightful. I'm sure one of them was wrong, but yeah, good, good to go. I think we need to wrap this up, mainly because I have to go home. So, <laughs> I think Alan is correct as always. Thanks again for joining us. Um, we've got a. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna say it out loud in case it doesn't happen. Yeah. But we have got a great guest potentially lined up um, for next week. So um, we'll hopefully get that over the line. Although saying that, anyone who lasted an hour and 20 minutes listening to today's pod <laughs> is probably going to stay around for next week's pod. Yeah. So we do have a good person coming. <laughs> we appreciate our ultras out there. Um, thanks again, guys. If you are here, please, please leave us a review. Um, let us know what you think. Get in touch at Thistle Rugby Pods. And hey, if you've made it this far, why not get yourself over to cornerstone.co.uk and get yourself the best razor on the market don't just take our word for it it is gq approved and um you get if you use thistle at checkout you will get a razor a premium engraved shaft with your uh, initials um and six blades all for four quid and it's delivered right to your door and there's nothing wrong with it it's all good and as you heard in our interview with um (laughs) i'm not very good at this advertising like am i (laughs) let's cut the pod we're done Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early, so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. 